You're listening to Once, episode 190, Best Laid Plans. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. I'm Aaron. Thank you very much for joining us. We've had the opportunity now to dig into the best laid plans of mice and men or of authors and August. So let's get into <laughs> this episode. And I have a theory on that. Ooh. And I know, Aaron, you have some theory you're really excited about, too. Well, I was really excited until the episode disproved my theory, but I'll still say what it was. Oh, okay. So let's start our discussion with the past as we do. When they started (laughs) out hunting the unicorn, we heard that line from Snow's vision that I'm your mother. And then Emma said, I don't care. That's the same thing, just in case you didn't catch it, that happens later on after they finally tell the truth to Emma in Storybrooke. And Emma tries to leave. (laughs) Not only did I catch it, I knew what she was going to say. Because (laughs) let's just say it was heavily foreshadowed. Yep. So I've been on this tangent for weeks now. Snow and Charming could have been seeing the exact same thing. Charming saw a baby. Babies cannot be evil. They are too innocent. They're not tainted by the world. Evil isn't born. It's made. The show has been saying that forever. I really don't like this part of the storyline. I'm sorry, but... I don't like that they're insinuating that they can take evil out of something or that somebody's predestined for evil. And I know that this show kind of like this episode kind of clarified a lot of those points, which I did appreciate, but we're still kind of talking in circles in this show. Well, you know, I didn't get to participate in the initial reaction this time. My initial reaction was good grief. This felt theological rather than mythological (laughs) or, you know, I mean, there are so many different yeah. I mean, really, probably not even just in Christianity. There were so many theological uh, issues that could come up that it felt like they were trying to address on purpose. Worldview things. I was like, this is getting kind of heavy. Watching it the second time, I kind of, I think, at least as far as the author goes, I put most of that out of my head and it felt a little lighter, but they did still have the whole free will versus predetermination or predestination kind of undertone or overtone or whatever tone <laughs> yeah. and yeah, yeah but they i can't tell if they contradicted themselves or not i think they were just trying to skew maybe the whole thing is that maleficent set up a real straw man argument if they're saying that every person is born with the potential equal potentials for evil and darkness which i don't necessarily believe but cool we'll go with it for the story if that's their thing then why is emma any different Why is any baby any different? They shouldn't have been worried about that at all. At least once they had that explained by the apprentice. Well, the language that they've used before is that Emma has the potential for the greatest darkness. So it's something about her being the savior and something about her being the product of true love maybe makes her potential of one side or the other even bigger because she is the savior to the story. So flip that and she could be absolute opposite in a very strong way true that's one way you could look at it but they seem more concerned over just 
is she going to be good or is she going to be evil? Not what could she do with that? Which, you know, as they got down to it, every baby would have that potential according to that worldview. So just maybe not the greatest potential. This kind of also reminds me of even just Rumpelstiltskin and the prophecy that we got from the creepy eye in the hand girl that he kind of ended up making that happen by trying to prevent it from happening. So there is this whole storyline in the show Charmed, which I know I've talked about a lot in this podcast just because it's some of the same writers. And there's the baby and there's the potential for good and evil. And what actually ends up turning him evil, spoiler alert, is the Mm -hmm. betrayal of somebody so close to him that is supposed to be the one who's protecting him. And that ends up turning him evil. And that's kind of what we may see with Emma is that this betrayal by the people that she trusts the most is what ends up turning her evil. And the reason they're betraying her is because they are trying so hard to keep her from going there. Yep. One of our listeners, Pam the Man, had thought something very <laughs> similar that was going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've theorized that about multiple things before, that by pre- trying to prevent an action, you cause the action you're trying to prevent. Mm-hmm. And they've mm-hmm. played with that in Lost as well. And, you know, this episode does have a lot of Lost parallels, actually. Yeah. Not just the fact that they used a guy that played <gasps> a character in Lost. He the most annoying character in Lost. Oh, I didn't remember. Phil. Have to... Oh. Yeah. Security guy, Phil. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, okay. the one everyone hated. <laughs> more than Ben Linus sometimes. <laughs> Wait, was he an other? <laughs> yes, he was. Okay. Okay, yeah. So in this unicorn scene specifically, it is, you know we're talking about all of whether they should worry or not. And David was actually starting out being the voice of reason, which seems to be as rare as a unicorn these days. I wish <laughs> Snow had listened to him. They didn't need to worry at all, which is actually what he was telling her in the pilot as well, which is all kind of after all of these things in this episode. It, it doesn't run together in my mind real well anymore, having seen this, what they did, and all of their concerns initially. And then if you kind of cut from there to a few months down the road, maybe it works. I'm thinking of the scene in the pilot when Snow's looking out the window and he's he comes in and he says, are you thinking about what the queen said again? Mm. Kind of like they haven't really talked about it in the last nine months very much. Or just here and there, you know, just sort of a a, a worry in the back of their minds. I don't know. Do you think it mixes well? I think that it might help explain why they were, like, why Snow was so, like, I I don't think putting Emma in the wardrobe was something that she did lightly. I'm not insinuating that at all. But I do think that if she's on this redemption kick that's pretty close in timing to this episode, it would make sense that that happened so quickly that she is so quick to, okay, I have to save this kingdom. I don't care about kind of what Emma's been accusing her of. Like, you did that for the kingdom. You didn't do that for me. And it makes sense that Snow was so quick to just say, we have to we have to do this because she's trying to earn back whatever she did wrongfully in this episode. Actually, he was in the original Dharma initiative. So this unicorn vision... Silly unicorn. Why is is it different visions or is it the same vision at two different points? Because as you said, the baby, how would he really know? Maybe the baby was kind of like, I mean, still innocent. Or maybe the baby was like, I want to rip your heart out. Yeah. Yeah, And by the way, great acting from Abby Ross, who played young 
Emma. Exactly Great to see her again. Where I was headed. <laughs> She's getting just about as good at playing Emma as Bailey Madison is at playing Snow. She's yeah. starting yeah. to get the facial expressions and the body language, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Then as Charming and Snow go along, they meet random peddler number one. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as you guys pointed out, as Heather pointed out, those that doesn't exist. Yeah. So I wonder, though, by running into Snow and Charming there, like, did he plan that? And did he influence the story right there? Like, did he direct them that direction by interacting with him or was it something that he wrote like for these stories that he has changed has he had to be there to change the stories or is he changing them by writing them so like was this when he met snow and charming was this his way of influencing their story yeah and here's another question in my head is (laughs) maybe it gets too complicated but since this seems so out of character for the Charmings. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that in a sense, what we've seen up to this point has been how the timeline should have played out had the author not started manipulating things? Like what we're seeing now is that sort of maybe he's added these stories. And so now they're real. What happened with Maleficent is real, but maybe... In a sense, we saw an unaltered version early on. That's probably a little too complicated to communicate, even if that had ever been an idea. Yeah, my brain hurts just trying to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) But it does seem like (laughs) some writer somewhere just decided to put this story into the Charming's backstory. (laughs) Messing with things they should not. Yeah. So, it is almost like he... (laughs) started manipulating things and we as the audience have a superpower that we can see the story as it might have been we remember the story as it was without his edits but But, they don't but do remember he started manipulating stories before this happened this was just the last straw time is relative (laughs) i hope not (laughs) Uh, he said in this scene as they were leaving as he was telling them where to go he said Trust me. And it just sort of stood out to me. I have a feeling we're going to hear him say that a lot. (laughs) And who trusts him and who doesn't is going to be important going forward. Well, I think that jumping forward a little bit, we learn that this is a bad guy, right? Do uh, Do you guys agree? Is he a bad guy? Well, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, clearly what the Charmings did, what the Apprentice did to Maleficent's baby was evil. It was bad. Mm -hmm. And the apprentice said, why did you make me do that? Which is interesting in and of itself. It seems weird, though, because Snow and Charming still made that choice. Like, we still saw them toying with both ideas. (laughs) We still saw that free will happening. (laughs) And they still made that choice to do that. So I don't know how much it's... Like, they could even explore this, but... So, did he orchestrate that whole thing by sending them to The Apprentice? And on and on the debate goes. Probably. In the world and in (laughs) Once Upon a Time, apparently now. But one of the things I really appreciate about the way that they communicate control over someone else. 
like with Rumpel and his dagger and other situations like that, where someone is being controlled by someone else, Mm -hmm. the heart controlling someone, stuff like that. For all of those things, it's always seemed like it hasn't been this like complete total control. Like you're just my robot. You're just my puppet. But yet it seems like there's an appearance of free will but yet they're still being controlled. Like look at the times well, that Rumpel has had to do things because he was being controlled by his dagger. It wasn't just like, and all these, you know, mythical or special sounds or uh, special effects. <laughs> it looked like it was the kind of control, like in his mind, he had no choice. He had, he knew he had to do this. Right. In fact, even sometimes when he was fighting it, it didn't look like something was controlling him. It would seemed more like, it was he bending. was confronted. Yeah, bending, bending his, will. his will. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Hmm. So maybe that's the power that the author has here, mm-hmm. is that it appears people have free will, but he is bending their wills in order to choose the storyline <laughs> that he wants them to follow. Hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of like sci-fi-y shows where a person is kind of taken over by something evil Mm -hmm. and it's always about like you can fight this you know who you are tell that whatever to leave whatever like there's a lot (laughs) i'm trying to think of an example and i can't but i know that it exists haven comes to mind if anybody watches haven i have not watched that (laughs) yeah there's just a lot of you're right. Anytime anything gets in anyone's head and starts and their personality surfaces every, you know, five scenes and then they and they they say they want to they need help. And then they're like, fight it. And they push it out yeah, of their heads. Exactly. Eventually, they're just strong and they're awesome. But not before like some damage Buffy, has been done. There's probably several examples in Buffy of that. Well, and back to Jeremy's point earlier about the author maybe rewriting stories instead of just writing them as they're happening and influencing them as they're happening by actually rewriting the stories, we got this feedback from Belle of the Ball saying, remember when Tink brought Regina into the tavern, or to the tavern, let me say, just say that again. Remember when Tink brought Regina to the tavern and told her that she needed to walk inside and talk to the man with the lion tattoo to find her a happy ending and Regina ran? In my theory, Regina actually went inside, met Robin, and they fell in love. Hence the storybook page of young Regina and Robin together. The author did not like this ending. No Regina, no dark curse. So he rewrote the scene and made Regina run. The storybook page of Regina and Robin is from the original story before it was rewritten by the author. Mm. So do we think that the author has ulterior motives to have gotten them this far? Yeah, I think he just wants something that makes for a better story. I was going to say, he strikes me as a guy that's just like, yeah, I want a good story. But, I mean, it's once upon a time, so he's probably related to somebody in town. And really, all he wants (laughs) is a family who loves him. Yeah. Could could he be like Rumpelstiltskin's father's father or something? (laughs) So the father of Peter Pan. <laughs> like, do you think he has a missing child somewhere on Earth, and this was his way of getting there? Because that seems to be a trend. Uh, yeah, everybody's doing it these days. <laughs> Maleficent, Emma. Um, Maleficent didn't know she was doing it though. No, um, Gold. Sorry, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I did try to pay special attention to what we were seeing in the peddler's cart, just in case there were clues or little things from other stories. I didn't notice anything. Sorry. It would have been awesome, but no. Disappointment. They went to the Infinite Forest, and you remember the last time we've seen the Infinite Forest? Actually, literally the last time that we've seen the Infinite Forest and that shot of the Infinite Forest? Enlighten us. The episode True North from season one. They actually reused the exact same shot that was of the big forest and then zooms down into the forest. That's not where David ended up with Rumpel and Enchanting the Ring. Uh, actually, he no. did end up there, too. Yes. Not the same shot. So, yeah, this, that wasn't the same. I mean, that wasn't the last time. True North wasn't the last time we saw Infinite Forest. But that is the famous part of inf- the Infinite Forest. And it makes me wonder <laughs> if Hansel and Gretel are still in there. Because they would be. According to the storyline, they're still in the Infinite Forest no. at this time. Oh, at that time. Yeah, at that time that... Snow and Charming are in there going to find the apprentice. Hmm. Well, they couldn't have been there long. They were the same age in Storybrooke. Yeah, but Regina sent them there when she got the apple from the witch in the woods. So they should be really good at survival. Yeah. (laughs) That could come in handy in season eight. (laughs) Well, they're filled up on sugar, right? (laughs) Do you think the apprentice keeps the forest infinite as a way of hiding? Hmm. That's a good idea. He's very good. He knew they were coming. He knew what they wanted. I mean, he's he's, he's almost sorcerer-like, that guy. He's, <laughs> he's so good. <laughs> he's learned a lot, that apprentice who never sees the sorcerer, but is an apprentice who's sorcerer-like. <clears throat> <laughs> what are you implying, Jeremy? Mm, who knows? <laughs> who can say? We'll have to wait and see. Well, you know, Jacqueline <laughs> actually agrees with you. Ah. She also thinks that the apprentice is the sorcerer because, as she says, he knows way too much magic to be a lowly broom pusher. <laughs> no apprentice would just willy-nilly open holes to new worlds or know the level of magic necessary to cast darkness into an- another soul. It's his humility that makes him a good guy. He doesn't try to go above his station and the order of things. He could probably rule the world, but chooses not to. This author, by contrast, does break the order for his own selfish reasons. Mm. But so does the apprentice know all that magic or did the author just give him that knowledge in this episode for his own selfish purposes? Mm, That's a good point. Well, uh, one thing I was going to bring up later is specifically entrapping the author and other things we've seen the apprentice do. These are some big decisions, and he doesn't even try to consult anybody. He just makes those decisions and does the things. And that's true. Without any fear or trepidation of what might be the consequence, which I guess that is kind of the apprentice. <laughs> I mean, in a well, different clumsy way in Fantasia. However, he just strikes me as being very sorcerer like. There yeah. was the moment where he supposedly went to talk to the sorcerer when Ingrid came to the apprentice and asked for help. Mm, I don't remember that. But if this idea is true that he is actually the sorcerer, then, you know, what did he do? He just went in his little hut and talked to himself and then came back out with a decision. (laughs) Well, you know who might have a better opinion? Um, Our other co-host that never speaks and no one ever knows about her. Here's the name of all. I'm going to talk to him for a second. I'll be right back. (laughs) I really think that co-host is actually Jeremy. 
Because <laughs> Jeremy has two sides to him. He agrees with you. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> That's nice to know, I think. Mm-hmm. When they're talking with the apprentice, there are a lot of things here that kind of were a little odd. And uh, one of them is pointing out that the way that Snow described this vision, how it was bleak and full of pain and darkness, Jessica Olson pointed this out and said that it seems like that actually happened anyway to Emma because Emma grew up without her parents. So Emma's childhood was bleak, full of pain and darkness. And you know what? I'll bet when Emma said, I don't care, it figuratively ripped her heart out. Yeah. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Uh, I was thinking the same thing, too. So here's how this scene kind of played out. Uh, if we're if we're keeping track, the sort you know in this grand presentation of a very particular worldview, the uh, this uh, the apprentice, not the sorcerer, <laughs> says we're all born as blank slates with free will. Um, then he says all magic comes at a price, and Snow says whatever it is, we'll pay it. Like like people who are about to get into some deep doo doo often say, yeah, like Cinderella, uh, yeah, um. Once he leaves the room, having just heard that people are blank slates and can go either way, Snow said, well, maybe it's because she wasn't thinking it was a people, but Snow says, Maleficent's baby. She, you know, it's a, she spawned an egg. I mean, of course it's going to be evil because it's her baby. I guess dragons are, you know, they just inherit nature. They're not blank slates like the apprentice just told us. I don't I don't really know if I understand that logic. Not to mention if she thinks that a baby dragon can be the vessel for this, why does it have to be Maleficent's baby? I mean, go find a baby unicorn, go find a baby anything <laughs> yeah. that doesn't, you know, have the potential to also be a person who doesn't belong to someone who's not just a dragon. Well, in our forum <sighs> Uh, Sweets said the last time the Charming saw Maleficent, she roasted some guards because they were in her way to the Tree of Knowledge. I can totally buy Snow making a huge judgment call on any of her spawn. Well, uh, not after what she just heard. Right. And honestly, it's so nonsensical. Normally, I would say, well, that's just what the writers wanted to say. Well, maybe that's true, but in a different way. That's just the author's writing. Maybe this guy's just a bad author. Yeah. And this is what he decided to put into the story that he wasn't supposed to. Yeah. Or as Price of Magic put it, snowing or snow and charming only got upset about what they did because Maleficent's baby got sent through a portal. They should have been upset about the fact they took someone else's child. <laughs> Whether it was human or not is irrelevant. Well, yeah, as soon as Snow realized it was a baby, a human baby, that's when she really started freaking out. It does, I agree with you, Jeremy, it, like it seems really weird for Snow like to be having just heard that and then being like, oh no, but this baby's definitely going to be evil. But <laughs> it, it, it just, even in the context of, of her whole situation with Emma, like she's Snow White, he is Prince Charming, and they somehow think that the combination of them together being as good as good can get are going to have this like potentially evil baby, but they don't think that it's possible at all for Maleficent 
to have a potentially good baby. Right. It's, just, it's strange. So this this is the scene where I tweeted on Sunday, oh my goodness, I have the best <laughs> theory ever. And then it was probably just wishful thinking, but um, it, it was disproven by the end of the episode uh. when, you know, the whole, like, we found out who Maleficent's baby was. But I was thinking that, because when they were talking about ban- like putting the evil in another world, but before we found out that what, what hap- that it came to our world, I was thinking that it that Maleficent's baby could be the Jabberwocky from <laughs> what, what in Wonderland, because she kind of looks Whoa. like Maleficent. She kind of acts very like animalistic, like she could be part dragon, part human, and then also <sighs> she's like super super evil. Oh my so gosh, that would think, have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of like female character. I don't know why female, but female characters that we know that are like evil, like as evil as you can get in this show, but with with the right age and everything. And that's what I was thinking. So that was my brilliant theory. And I didn't think that it was going to get resolved by the end of this episode. So oh my gosh, I think, uh, I think people making this show, if they hear that are probably going to do a little forehead slapping. That is just, I mean, it's too perfect. So I just want to see Lily at some point meet someone and say, Little pig, little pig, let me come in. (laughs) Well, and we do know that the Jabberwocky does not care much for babies. (laughs) And speaking of the baby, when they go to steal it, Maleficent has Ursula and Cruella now as her personal guards. With their backs to the entrance. Like, they're facing into the cave, if I'm not mistaken. And they're standing there shivering in, like, furs. Uh, they're not very good guards. Doesn't Maleficent have better guards? I Maybe she's not. burned them all. Maybe she doesn't have any friends. <laughs> uh, Snow just mentioned offhand, I think she hoards anything <laughs> silver. I mean, does that have any relevance to anything? Yeah, justifying that they saw a baby rattler. I see. Oh. But- but is that comment, is there any other context to that comment aside from just this one episode? So it was just to explain their stupidity at still not getting that this baby might at least be a human sometimes. <laughs> or able to hold a rattle. Right. At least. And they did see a whole bunch of silver there in the cave. Yeah. So it's like, <gasps> a baby rattler? Oh, it's silver. And look, there's silver. And there's silver. And there's silver. She must just collect anything that's silver. <laughs> And the other thing that's interesting about this whole plan that they're enacting is exactly what The Apprentice ended up saying to them. They really think it's a good idea to take something that they already believe is going to be evil, despite what he said, and fill it with more darkness and evil, and then just sort of return it. And let (laughs) it... To its evil mother. Yeah. Which makes it seem like... The apprentice is sending that concentration of evil to somewhere else was almost a good idea. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. it was, but it makes it sound like, yeah, that's a good idea since you've got massive evil now. Were they trying to say that in Snow's mind, they weren't harming it in any way because it was already evil and they were putting darkness into it? And so what was the difference? I think so. Because there was that whole moment where she said, I mean, the silliest thing in the whole thing was, we'll bring it back when we're done. I mean, really? That's like some kidnapper being like, yeah, well, we're going to have your kid work in a sweatshop for a year. We'll bring him back. 
I mean, it's terrible. It's just like the logic is just sickening and I can only attribute it to this crazy author. And oh, the pain on Maleficent's face. That whole thing was done very well. I mean, her new mother look and her tone and everything was awful. I did take issue just with them outsmarting her as a, like I get I get that she didn't want to incinerate the egg and all of that mm-hmm. but like seriously you're Snow White and Prince Charming and she's a dragon and she's Maleficent like well and here's where magic run rampant starts to cause plot holes when you don't rein it in I don't know if by this point in the episode we'd seen it but certainly in this episode Maleficent put an entire town of people to sleep with a few waves from her staff the staff she was holding when they took her baby that she didn't want to incinerate. She did risk collapsing a cave on it. She couldn't have put them to sleep. No, well, Snow is immune to sleeping curse at this point. Okay, that works. I don't know if, well, was she, she at that didn't... point? Yes, yeah, she Wait, was. Did, but Maleficent doesn't know that. Did she? Didn't Gold tell her that in the present day of this episode? Uh, she may have understood that. So you're right. That helps. That helps me. <laughs> Uh, But she didn't even try. Maybe she understood. There are a lot of comments in the forums and comments left on our website and sent to us that people just in general really hated this. And it made them lose a lot of respect for Snow White and Prince Charming. And, you know, I can agree. Like I said in the initial reactions, the one word to describe this episode was disappointing. Not that the Mm -hmm. episode itself was disappointing, but Snow and Charming in this episode were so disappointing that... It's like, you're not heroes anymore. And I know they face that later Mm -hmm. on in this episode in multiple aspects. And that's why I kind of wonder, in a sense, if this is an alteration that we haven't seen before. And I have to say... it had not happened until later. Right. So you're saying that this is one of those things that the author rewrote as well, because he thinks this makes for a better story. Right. Kind of like time travel, where most people don't remember that anything is different. This is how they've always known it. We, as the audience, remember it how it's supposed to be without his alterations. Not that it's time travel. It's almost string theory. It's. I'm sorry, people. It's very complicated yeah, in my head. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, though. To, if he's changing the stories after they've already happened, that's time travel. Mm-hmm. If he's changing the stories as they're happening, that's life. We yeah. change the future with every decision we make. And by that's the like way, somebody tweet that. I'm still going to harp on the magic thing a little bit. So you're Maleficent and someone's taking your baby. You can do two things, fire and sleep. Do you really think you're going to sit there and not try the one that's safe for the baby, even if you figure they're immune? Because guess what? Charming wasn't immune. Guess what? Now you've got a hostage to trade for the baby. She was angry and desperate and not thinking very clearly. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) Although Kristen Bauer Van Straten did do a great job as playing Maleficent. She did. And as playing a mother, too. Mm -hmm. And we're like seeing the many different types of people she gets to play. Like. 1930s-ish woman and villain and dragon and mother and I liked her her 40s, 30s, whatever get-ups at first, but now I'm starting to just question why. I guess I guess it's all the cloak and dagger. She just feels like a spy. Yeah. Could this in any way have been something that has been affected by Emma and Hook being back in the past last season? 
I that was mm. something I toyed with too. That maybe something they changed that they didn't know about was that they enabled this author to come into the picture, and that's yeah. why things maybe have started to change. I could go for that. That that would make more sense. It would fit in depending on how long this author has been an author. Mm-hmm. It could fit in. So producers or writers of once, if you're listening and you're doing the forehead slap because of my <laughs> theory, here is how you can fix this. Oh. And another thing about that, that one of my coworkers pointed out is that stories have been recorded in Henry's book after the author was trapped. Yeah. I questioned that. at the So end. how is he, how is he the last author? He may not be the last author. He, August said, and we'll dig more into this in a little bit, but August said he was the last author tasked with this great responsibility. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it could be that there were other authors mm. after, and there could be other offer, authors. And I haven't after. thought about that. Too. Yeah, which we'll get into mm-hmm. in a little bit. But then as they're playing hot potato with the dragon baby. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I, no. Am I the only one who thought that? <laughs> That hand (laughs) cracking out of the hand, sticking her little hand out to get scarred by the ordeal, and just so sad. That's where I realized that my theory was incorrect, and that the theory we heard a couple weeks ago was correct, and I didn't like it. Yeah, not the unicorn theory that the unicorn is Maleficent's baby, but the theory (laughs) that Lily is Maleficent's baby, and then uh, Ursula. And Cruella rush into the scene and really make a valiant effort to steal the title of the two idiots <laughs> as they stand next to the swirling portal of doom with their backs to the egg that they're supposed to be protecting and yell at the Charmings and then fall in. Really? Name calling. That was their best weapon. Like, could one of them have been trying to save the egg when she fell in and then maybe the other one tried to grab her and then they both went in? Like, that would have been kind of cool. Well, clearly, <laughs> they're just means to an end. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> Portals are tricky. They are not the first two people we have seen accidentally fall into a portal. <laughs> I hope they're the last, but I doubt it. <laughs> It looked an awful lot like a bean hole to me. We've got Snow. We've got Neil. (laughs) Anybody I'm missing? Uh, Neil twice, actually. Uh, True, true. Hmm. Slurpees108 had a theory saying, come to think of it, did the apprentice really drive away Emma's potential for darkness? After all, the Chernabog did still go after Emma, so her heart still must have capacity (gasps) for darkness after all. It seems charming and Snow's dark venture to, quote, protect, unquote, Emma was futile. Oh, my gosh. It's the biggest plot hole yet. And I didn't even notice. Oh, I noticed. Ugh. Ugh. (laughs) Gonna need a minute. Yeah. And uh, pretty much the rest of the summary of the feedback around this point is (laughs) Snow and Charming. How could you? It's a baby. It's. (laughs) A baby. I do want to point out, just in defense of Snow and Charming, not not really, but a little bit, <laughs> that they freaked out as soon as they realized it was a baby and tried to save it. Yes, that is good. Yeah. They, they should have realized, as Jacqueline put it, it was an egg laid by a woman. Of course, it's going to be a baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> a dragon are, woman. I did not. I did not get the title of this episode until you said it aloud when you said "Welcome to Once T- Tonight." Best mm-hmm. laid plans, laid laid an egg. I didn't get that. Oh. Oh. <laughs> That's why I actually muted and laughed after you said that. <laughs> oh, goodness. I like. I need to hear things out loud, uh, but um, oh, I'm gonna need another minute. I maybe that was just Snow trying to. That's a groaner. What's it called? It's like justify her actions again. Hmm. Like, oh, it can't be a baby if it's been laid an egg by a dragon, so it must be from her dragon half. Otherwise, wouldn't she just have the baby? I mean, they don't know how Maleficent was born. <laughs> maybe they do. Maybe well, they do. <laughs> and uh, one of the other feedbacks i can't find it at the moment but someone else had said something about maybe maleficent is immortal so she's not susceptible to the same things everyone else is in some ways maybe maybe not yeah back at the charming's castle we get to see a little bit more history behind the unicorn mobile which we have seen since season one, and it's played very important parts along the way. So it was really cool to see that this was a gift from Cinderella and tie that in nicely with other things. But this is where I think in some way Snow and Charming had a slightly redeeming conversation. I thought we were doing something brave for our child, and we were brave, but we weren't kind. We were selfish. Anything. We are not heroes anymore. Which is part of what makes me wonder if this is sort of new stuff from the author. So you think they were originally total heroes? They never seemed to question it before. After this point, things that we've seen after this point. There were things that they've done before that were on the verge of not being a hero. Like when they almost executed Regina... But it was a decision. Yes, they made it, but they didn't go through with it. Whereas no, didn't go through with it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And she did stop them and basically, well, she said, this isn't the way. And we could infer from that, it's not the hero's way. I think Charming's a villain. (laughs) If you think about it. Well, ever since he got Nightshade. He's an undercover villain. He's been trying to corrupt Snow from the beginning. (laughs) But Charming says something that mixed thoughts here on this, but here's what he said anyway. Do you really think that redemption is possible? Notice the true love theme? No. Yes. I have to believe we can earn forgiveness. A chance of grace. And by using that music right there, what we know as kind of the true love theme, I think that kind of communicates that true love can forgive can give grace, can help in redemption, which is a neat message for them to share that even no matter what mistakes you've made, there is always that chance for redemption. That doesn't mean you can't get out of consequences, but there is a chance for redemption, for grace, for forgiveness. And that's a cool message. Yeah, except for the way he followed it and saying how hard they'd have to work every single day, which, you know, depending on your definition... Uh, I would define grace as something you cannot, do not earn. And also just the the perspective of of if you do something really bad, you kind of, well, you (laughs) should make that thing right. You can't just do good in other places and balance it out. Yeah, You really need uh, to make right the thing you did wrong. (laughs) But that could 
maybe be foreshadowing now. Like, I don't know if they can, they can't make it right what they did, but they could at least help Maleficent Mm -hmm. now that she knows that her child is there. I thought, I thought that grace was a really interesting word um, for charming to use. Grace to me is a very biblical word and it's Mm -hmm. not a word that I don't think we've ever heard used in this show. And uh, this whole episode, it kind of just made me think of Easter and (laughs) it, it is Easter this weekend. And, yeah, I just um all of this discussion of like redemption and forgiveness and good and evil and consequences mm-hmm. and whether whether that can be earned or not right, like, like... It, just, it made me think of <laughs> Easter and of what that all means for Christians and <laughs> even what grace, you know, stands for for Christians. And... Right. Yeah, like I said, theologically heavy <laughs> episode yeah. for a fairy tale. <laughs> uh and then at the same time he's saying all this and then he he uses the phrase we can be the best versions of ourselves. Like, what is this? Chicken soup that for the once me, upon a time soul? That gave me a we are both flashback. <laughs> we are both the best version of ourselves. But we weren't both back then. We were just the one thing, but now we're not. Because because the author, because blah, 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 blah. By the way, you mentioned Easter, and there will not be an episode of Once Upon a Time on Easter Sunday, April 5th. So just keep that in mind. We won't have a podcast that evening or on the evening of April 8th, but we will be back on April 12th at a different time as well as later that week, because during that week, I will be speaking at New Media Expo and the National Association of Broadcasters in Las Vegas. So we're going to have to like do some co-host juggling again and juggle the times around again. So keep that in mind, upcoming schedule change. If you're ever uncertain when we're doing a live show, just go to oncepodcast.com slash live and you'll see the schedule there. Mm-hmm. By the way, I want to thank some people who made this episode of the podcast possible with your kind donations. For this episode, David Newland, Steve Johnson, Lisa Slack, Tracy Anderson, Daniel Clark, Jessica Olson, and Tappenbird. Thank you very much for your kind contributions. All of these are subscribers, so each of them are contributing to the podcast on a regular basis, and we really, really appreciate that because it helps keep things running. It helps us pay for the plugins and the media hosting, the server bandwidth, the the copies of the show that we purchase from iTunes and other expenses that we have in bringing this podcast to you. So every little bit counts. And we would love to continue doing this. And if you want to see us continue doing it and enable us to bring great content to you, then please consider going to oncepodcast.com slash sponsor. You can make a one-time donation of any amount, an automatic monthly donation or a per episode donation. If none of those fit in your budget and you have some shopping to do on amazon.com, then go to that same page, oncepodcast.com slash sponsor and click on our Amazon link before you do your shopping on Amazon. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but it's a way of coming back and supporting the podcast because we get a portion of the amount that you pay toward your purchase. That's at oncepodcast.com slash sponsor. And thank you very much for your support. Even if you can't donate at all or shop through our Amazon affiliate link, just your listening and sharing this episode does wonders for us. So thank you for sharing the episode. Thank you for commenting. Thank you for participating in the community. And thank you for being awesome because you are. You're awesome. Yes, you are. Moving on to the present We first see that something is wrong with August, and when they take him into the 
the fairy hive there. <laughs> the monastery, because they're nuns now. Yeah. Regina's interaction with Henry is a little concerning. They couldn't break the habit. Because she feels like there's a chance she won't see him again. Which she did later on, but then she was taken by gold and the others. So I'm starting to get a little concerned about Regina's future. Well, she almost dies at the end of every season, so she has reason to be worried. Maybe we should be concerned about Henry's future. Yeah. Mm. That could be too. I don't know. I didn't get that impression, but I, I didn't look for it. I don't know. It's nice that in this episode we see several people finally being honest with Emma. So like in the next scene that we see is Hook telling Emma what Gold's plans are. Yeah, it gets really tiring seeing teams of people on a show, but each with their own secret motives. And so when one gets information, they just kind of hold on to it and they don't share it with the other people who desperately need this information here at the first opportunity hooks just like so here's the plan that they told me um it's bad news i was very appreciative of the real people moment they shared information and gold's plan is to use the author to darken emma's heart and tying back into our conversation from earlier i wonder if the way that Gold is going to use the author is to get the author to rewrite Emma's story, to turn her into the villain from the beginning. I was going to say villain now, because what does that accomplish or villain in the past? Right. Yeah, because then the curse would have never been broken. That's true. Well, she was always destined to be the savior because her or the true love potion was kind of like her sister DNA or something. She <laughs> was written into the curse to be the one to break it. Right. Whether so I think good or evil, right? Right. It's, so it's, it doesn't matter which way she turned out. You think? I don't know if I totally agree. Well, Rumpelstiltskin did make her the savior. Depends on what the darkness would look like, because if she's not capable of true love for Henry, she couldn't have broken the curse. That's true. But maybe it wasn't going to take only true love's kiss. To break the curse. Well, Maybe there was I, some other way. Well, squid ink, but I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> she, you know, I, I suppose as a villain, she could have loved enough her son to break the curse, I guess. I'm not sure that they're going to completely go the route of changing history, despite what I've said. The question is, what would turning her dark now accomplish? Would it be to get her to use the dagger on him? Would it be, well, who knows what the ultimate plan is? At least there are still some questions that we can't predict. It's to take their happy endings, right? So that they can have theirs. But why does he think that that's, I can see. Because that takes Snow and Charming's happy ending for sure. And Henry's. But why does he want that? Because I don't think... He's the dark one. He can't get his happy endings, or he thinks he can't get his, because everyone else got theirs. And Emma was the bringer of happy endings. So he wants to flip things around. He wants to change the rules. Yes, but I think he should be smart enough to understand that 
he doesn't have to do anything to other people necessarily in order to get that under his theory. While we're talking about gold, can we just point out the irony here, since Mm -hmm. he finds irony everywhere, that he's the one who orchestrated her being the savior and being the bringer of happy endings, and then now he wants to take it away? Like, he orchestrated that. He took their hair and made the true love and put that into the curse as a safety mechanism or whatever. And then he knew all of this was going to happen. Only because... Like, he orchestrated... Or maybe he didn't orchestrate it. Maybe the author did, but... I think he only knew as far as... Curse gets me to that world. Emma gets me out of the curse so I can go do what I'm really there for. I think that's all his plan was and all he knew. And as far as he could see. To find his son. He thought he would be able to get his happy ending by finding his son. We've gone way beyond anything I think he ever saw. Right. So what is his end game now for Spell to fall in love with him again? (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's one thought that Claire sent in. Gold wants to fill Emma's heart with darkness. The number one way to fill Emma's heart with darkness is by making her become the dark one. But I think there will be some catch because Emma is the savior. I think part of Gold's happy ending is to be free of being the dark one. And because in becoming the dark one herself, Emma is helping get Gold's happy ending. She will possibly be immune from the dark one curse or at least be more in control of the powers due to her fulfilling her quote, savior, unquote, duties. Great thought, Claire. Yeah. It's interesting. That would be great if she was immune to becoming the dark. She seems she's immune to some other things we know, so. Mm-hmm. Not the sleeping curse. And she's been practicing. Know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot, I would say. Don't know when she finds the time, but I guess one doesn't really need a lot of time when you can just conjure things. <laughs> um, I liked how Hook described darkness. Just the way that he described it was was good, like that darkness is a funny thing and it creeps up on you, almost as if you do not know that you are getting like getting involved in it. Um, and I'm sure that we've kind of seen this, like we've seen, you know, Snow toy with with that and back and forth and stuff. Um, it This is another kind of quote that made me think of Easter in the Bible and um just the implications of that statement, just when Jesus said um, they know not what they do. It does, though, still imply lack of choice to me, which is one of the things I that they're going back and forth with. But he's kind of saying, like, you, you know that you're maybe making these little, little slides towards darkness, but that it's a slippery slope and you don't really know how, how steep it is when you are walking down it. And I think that's kind of what he was getting at. And that actually leads me to think that it's not going to be any explanation so complicated as what I said as far as their actions. I think they're just trying to tell us, well, turns out the Charmings weren't so great. They were kind of on their way down or darkness was creeping in long ago. You just didn't know it. Yeah. Okay. I guess. (laughs) I mean, later on, Snow said that when she saw the darkness in her heart she thought it was because she'd killed cora but no it actually started long ago you know she got some squid ink in her heart (laughs) do not eat (laughs) which is my way of saying please stop revising canon but hey um i that may be what they're doing and i don't know whether it's the author in the show or the authors over the show that are revising but something is happening I think that that dialogue between Hook and Emma just before they fell asleep, 
<laughs> was there primarily to remind us who Lily was. So that when at the end of the episode, when yeah. we hear the name Lily, we don't think, huh, who's, who's Lily? That seems kind of familiar. Right. <laughs> yeah. That annoyed me because I didn't want that one to be true. Why not? I just don't. <laughs> well, I like your story better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I wanted it to be the Jabberwocky. Lily didn't seem that... Evil? Yeah. So was it simply the potential for darkness that was put in and she didn't go that route? So she had like double the chances of becoming dark. Yeah. Maybe it just hasn't matured in her yet. Because like Emma didn't get her magical abilities mm -hmm. until sometime in her teenage years, late teenage years, maybe. So maybe the same thing is true with Lily. And so when Emma and Lily met, Lily, yeah, had that potential, but it wasn't quite metastasized yet. Oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe. I wanted to throw in a fancy word. Good job. Do you, do you think that they could rewrite that kind of, like if, if the authors, if if we are dealing with rewriting of stories, they could almost, like, that would be an easy way for them to kind of trade their places almost, Emma and Lily. At that time, they were both, they seemed the same. They seemed both like upset little bratty kids that had been through life and were trying to decide which way to go, like which choice to make. And it would be easy to kind of manipulate that story to kind of, that could be how gold turns Emma evil now, kind of like re reversing what the spell did in the first place. Mm, well, but it can't be reversed. <laughs> but can it? Well, <laughs> someone, the source apprentice said it couldn't. Someone had even suggested that maybe Emma and Lily were actually switched. So Emma is actually Maleficent's yeah. baby and Lily is actually Snow and Charming's baby. I thought baby. that at one time, but oh. I don't think so now. Yeah, I really... Emma could not be the savior with the curse right. if she wasn't Snow and Charming's mm -hmm. baby. Yeah, I don't like that. There was another point to that conversation. Emma and Hook needed to define Emma's relationship with the wooden man-child <laughs> for all of us. Yeah. So there would be no question, which actually I'm thankful for. Who needs a love triangle? You can get that on any other show on TV. We don't need that. And we've, we've had that here. we've seen it with Hook and Emma and Neil. We've seen too many of that on this show. Thank you for not going down that road. What? I actually like their little lie detecting club. What I was a little surprised that they didn't mention is... Or didn't say is something like August took care of me as a kid. Although Emma doesn't remember that, but right. I'm surprised she didn't use the word brother. He's like a brother to me. Yeah, I mean, that could have fit really well. He's my bro. <laughs> Except that would anyway. And speaking of defining relationships, mm -hmm. someone else felt like they needed to define their relationship too. Yeah, so we have the next conversation being Rumple and Maleficent defining their relationship with each other and with the Queens of Darkness, who are really just there to get Maleficent, basically. <laughs> One of them's already gone. Clearly yeah. expendable. Which is a good point, and it makes me wonder what's going to happen with Cruella. Mm -hmm. Because we know now Ursula's happy ending was getting her voice back. We now know from this episode that Maleficent's happy ending is getting her baby back. So, so is, I mean, Cruella's happy ending really can't be puppies. Um, <laughs> um, unless she's, 
I don't know. Maybe somehow she had a falling out with Pongo and it set her off on a really dark course. And she just, <laughs> she just, maybe Pongo wasn't always a dog and maybe Pongo <laughs> is her true love and maybe they need to be reunited and he needs to be a human again. And then she can give up the desperation and the gin and they can go live happily ever after. You know, as ridiculous as that sounds, it's actually plausible. <laughs> it is. It is. I, I, as I say these strange things, I'm aware that they could come to pass in about one scene if necessary. Yeah. Is there a single villain on this show that we have met that does not have some kind of like mummy daddy issue that we had to hash out? Everybody's like either, got relationship either problems. Either they're the product of the mummy daddy issue because it's between them and their kid, or <laughs> they are the child in the mummy daddy issue, which is that's pretty true to fairy tales. I got to hand it to them, but <laughs> true. <laughs> Maleficent kind of finished the conversation saying, "Those heroes will pay." They were so labely in this episode. They, I mean, they said "savior" about ten million times. That's all Regina would call Emma was the savior when she was with the villains and they just kept referring to the heroes i felt like they might have just done well to get one of those p-touch labelers and just stick labels on people's foreheads well because they're challenging all the labels right they're challenging can you unsave you're the savior they're challenging are heroes really heroes if they you know do hmm. unheroic things and can they earn that status back they've been pretty labely throughout the series especially i'm just thinking of neverland when it was like the hero the savior the evil queen the dark one yeah the pirate the pirate yeah all together as if you know being the pirate means carries some kind of connotation (laughs) crocodile (laughs) the crocodile so they break into mary margaret's loft and start as they do (laughs) There's a dagger in there somewhere, you know, in an air conditioning vent. Just ignore that. I'm surprised they didn't check the air conditioning vent. Yeah. I thought Geppetto made that woman a new lock. I mean, that happened in season one. That would have been a great touch if Regina had just been like, hmm, I know one place we haven't looked. She looks in the vent where she put the dagger to frame Mary Margaret back in the day. Yeah, it would have been a nice little nod back to season one. But no. So in the loft, Rumple sort of confirms the explanation that we had just gotten from David and Mary Margaret about why they were still awake, which was apparently if you've been affected or been put under this sleeping curse that requires like blood and pricking and all these things and burning red rooms and that whole thing and true love's kiss and blah, 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 you are also immune to whatever sort of waves of magic Maleficent sent from her staff, which is clearly a spell and not a curse, albeit a curse that is sort of in poison slash potion form when she uses it. It's all rather isn't, confusing. Isn't that like, I? it's blurry because it's season two, but um, <laughs> didn't Charming, when he went under the sleeping curse, he had to like conquer a, another room right before he got to the burning red room <laughs> so maybe did. in conquering that room you cannot ever be sent back to it because didn't he like break through the wall and stuff well i suppose i'm just questioning that she uses two very different methods to put people to sleep but apparently they're somehow interrelated and don't forget yeah. that snow was able to travel back there 
when she, she went into a deep sleep, and Aurora was traveling back there regularly when she would go into a deep sleep. That wasn't the curse. That was the that was like the after effect because that's why Charmaine didn't get into the burning red room at first. Right. So the burning red room was an after effect of the sleeping curse. You weren't supposed to be able to get into there without having been awoken from. Oh, yeah, that makes sense then. Okay, well, that wasn't... I don't really like talking about the burning red room, if I'm being honest. It's just... (laughs) Can you imagine the parties that are going to be happening there now? (laughs) Well, I don't know if that is the same, because I I look at this as this is just a sleeping spell. Yeah, not the sleeping curse. It's not the curse. It doesn't require true love's kiss, we hope. So... There again, I don't see how the two are related. I don't know why David and Mary Margaret and Henry and the whole Sleeping Curse Club stayed awake. Because otherwise it wouldn't have been a good episode. That's that's true. And otherwise she could just do that to everybody all the time like I was thinking in the past. Yeah. And she would have no problems, this woman. Put people to sleep when you want, burn them when you want, whatever. So if this is not a sleeping curse, does that mean that True Love's Kiss would not have worked to awaken these people? I don't think so, yeah. Because I was thinking, like, Henry, being Henry, the smart kid that he has the potential to be sometimes, could just go kiss Emma's forehead. I love you, Mom. Wake up. Okay, now help me. (laughs) Right? And then Emma could kiss Hook. And then, yeah, I just, I don't know that his head was totally in the game tonight. Yeah. Maybe he was panicking. People who are panicking do not always make good choices. Well, and Snow and Charming, too, panicking that they're going to let the author out. We can't have this. This is dangerous. It'll turn Emma evil. Yeah, I didn't I didn't like that part. It was just, yeah, it was all very David Nolan and Mary Margaret Blanchard sneaking around, <laughs> making bad choices. That's very, that's kind of what I kept thinking as we watched this. We are both. Well, but he's a little more one than the other. <laughs> Speaking of being both Henry Daniel Mills. Yeah. yeah. We didn't know that, did we? No. Oh, it was so. Oh, I thought we knew that. Sad. I think that makes perfect sense, though. She mm-hmm. named her son after the two other men she loved in her life. Mm-hmm. And in case you don't remember, Henry was her father and Daniel was the stable boy. Mm-hmm. I thought we knew that. Really? She didn't say that when she adopted him? I don't remember I don't her remember saying it. Henry Daniel. I just remember her saying Henry. Oh, okay. I could be wrong, but that's pretty sure about it that. It just wasn't surprising to me, but... It makes sense, so that's probably why it wasn't surprising. Like, what else would his middle name be? Mm. Snow. <laughs> <laughs> Leopold. <laughs> well, when they take the page away from Henry, I thought that was great, like, subconscious communication between Regina and Henry. <laughs> she was practically like, on <laughs> Actually, no, it was more subtle than that. I did like it. <laughs> it was, yeah. But then Snow and Charming weren't so subtle and subconscious in the way that they insisted that they take the page away from Henry. And it looked like he was a little concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Well, they have never, I don't think, ever yelled at him before. Like, Charming was way out of character Yeah. in yelling at Henry. Snow was more in character just because 
I don't know, she's snow. It, it, it's maybe not as awkward for her to act like that, but like when uh, when Charming yelled at Henry, I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> Grandpa! Like, take a step back. <laughs> Give me the page. Go drive the truck." <laughs> yeah. When Gold went in to talk to Belle, or talk at her, since <laughs> she wasn't really awake. <sighs> I think I was really glad that we heard him say this. I need to tell you this. One still matters. Well, you can't hear me. My magic comes as a cost, as you know. And I have racked up so much debt, I can never be clear of it. So we finally know, yes, his magic does come at a cost. Yes. And he has yet to pay Mm -hmm. it. I don't think it's a concrete thing. I think he's just saying, hey, I've completely ruined my life. I lose everything. That's it. A debt is something you owe. It's not something you've already paid off. I know. I think he's being flowery. He does that. This has been quite the war in Storybrooke. I mean, I guess it's not over, but... (laughs) Because if if it's a debt that you can pay whenever you want to, you would get to pick the price. And it's been pretty clear in this series that they don't always know the cost of magic. They don't know what the consequence is going to be. But whatever it is, they'll pay it. But it's not because it's not their choice. (laughs) Or find a way to change the rules. Mm. Unless I find a way to change the rules. But now, here's the hard truth. Something else is changing. So if I'm going to change the rules, I'm going to have to do so quickly. I will come back for you if if I can. So, (laughs) it occurs to me that that's actually, it sounds really dramatic, but it's all actually in reference to Cruella's driving. (laughs) his heart really can't take it anymore and they might get in an accident at any time so he's really just not sure how this is going to go well in Jacqueline's (laughs) words Rumple you gonna die you gonna die but Fee said that part makes it sound like the darkness is going to completely consume his heart at which point it will no longer quote matter unquote what he does or doesn't feel for Belle or anyone else I don't necessarily think he's anticipating dying. I think it's just that he's anticipating losing the last shred of his humanity unless he finds a way to stop it. I like that theory primarily because we've seen a transference or a supposed transference of darkness potential from one, shall we say, vessel to another. So if he wants to transfer his darkness to the person who has the greatest potential to hold that darkness so that he doesn't have it anymore and he gets a happy ending, that would make sense of a lot of things. So you're kind of looking at it like greatest potential for darkness is like the biggest glass that has the greatest potential to hold the most water sort of thing. Yeah. So he's got so much he can't, you know, not just any person can hold it all. So if we assume that it wasn't a plot hole, that basically the thing the apprentice did accomplished absolutely nothing and emma really does still have the greatest potential for darkness then she would be the right place to send the darkness in his heart if he's trying to be rid of it all the voices in my (laughs) head will be quiet when i'm dead (laughs) but maybe i like that theory i do wonder how she then birthed the heart of the truest believer but uh you know, kind of goes with it. But then 
maybe Emma's heart, like Emma's heart is protected. Maybe that's, maybe this, whoa, I just <laughs> thought of this. Maybe Emma's heart cannot be taken because it's protected by this spell that Snow and Charming did. That could be a nice way to tie mm. things together. Like nobody else magic can repel somebody trying to take their heart, right? We've not ever seen that only in Emma. Yeah, that would be, it would work. It would make me kind of <laughs> sad because I always like the idea of her just being, that's just her nature as a product of true love. and. But what makes it, yeah. But what makes her heart not stealable? Her powerful light magic. Yeah. But that has potential for darkness. As of now, <laughs> as of this half season or this season and the author. <laughs> well, we also got a suggestion from Gareth. And this one is a little bit crazy, but hear this out. What if Rumpel <laughs> plans to sacrifice himself to bring back Neil? Dead is dead until it isn't. <laughs> Neil is Rumpel's happy ending. What if his goal is no longer to have everything, to keep his power, but to finally do what he originally set out to do? When he said things are changing, he might have meant internally. Maybe his love of power is weakening. He also told Maleficent, if you don't feed your pain, it goes away. So perhaps he is ready to let things go. Perhaps since Neil died, restoring him life for life, perhaps it would work the other way. Perhaps he'll follow in Zelina's slippers and change the past. Can the author change the laws of magic? No. <laughs> right. You need a genie to change the laws of magic. You need three of them and they don't exist anymore. <laughs> Apparently nobody from that place does except Will the Extra. Josephine said, I think it's going to come down to a final showdown. It's a final showdown. Oh dear. Of him and Emma. Emma prevails, Rumpel is weakened, Belle kisses him, and his curse is completely lifted. He's once again the humble spinner, a human, but the price to pay for his exorcism and redemption Ooh. is death. <laughs> human Rumpel passes away, finally at peace, his soul finally free. Shippers get their true love's kiss, Deeries get a curse-free Rumpel, and Emma is reborn stronger and more confident in her role as the savior. Hmm. That's from Josephine. Hmm. Thank you. I don't want them to change the laws of magic. I think that Will should just pull Rumple aside and be like, hey, I just want to tell you something that I've experienced in the past. It doesn't work. You can try to change the laws of magic, but this is my experience with this guy who tried to do that in Wonderland. Don't try. It's not going to work. And I don't know why Will is in this season if not to somehow tie it back to Wonderland. So. Aww garbage that might make sense he might have that conversation then we might get the story that we don't want yeah about why he's in storybrook alone i am going to be very frustrated wait what is the word adam and eddie use disappointed <laughs> yeah we're running out of episodes <laughs> of this season will has been a series regular since the beginning and there has not been one clarity clarification of anything of why he's here. And I'm going to be extremely disappointed if that continues into the next season. <laughs> Am I alone in that? No, except that I'm sort of biding my time and making up my own story or just ignoring what they seem to be implying. Unless they're somehow going to segue it into the first half of next season being that, being all about Wonderland and tying it back into the once proper then I might be okay with that. 
Yeah, they'd have to do it somehow in a way that didn't doesn't make people who did not watch Wonderland feel like they've missed something, or which could be very challenging. They could then release it on DVD and market <laughs> it properly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not to put too fine a point on it. <laughs> when Snow and Charming are once again about to take such a rash move and burn the page, you know, ignoring the possibility that they might damage a human being in the process of trying to seek mm-hmm. their own happy endings and or just secure someone else's. They finally, you know, came to their senses. But not before David stated his true heart's motto in all of life. Let's just burn it and worry about it later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's his way. Yeah. At least that's David Nolan's way. Stop <laughs> being David Nolan. We are both. Nope. He's one. <laughs> I love that they did realize heroes do what's right, not easy. Right. Yeah. You notice Snow said that. Snow is still Snow. Yeah. It would be nice if Charming would be Charming. But yeah, that's what, and that's the kind of line that made me love them. And last couple of years, they've just been sort of either boring or stupid <laughs> or something. I mean, we need more... Charming's adventuring and doing what's right. Because it's right. I found it very inspiring early on. Can I, mean, I just point out that if Snow hadn't have done what was easy back in Miller's Daughter, the, yeah. Mm. yeah, then they wouldn't even be in this mess because Rumble would be dead. Right. Just throwing that out there. Mm. Everybody knows I'm not a huge Rumble fan, so <laughs> send, send hate to my Twitter. And after this revelation, they did finally confess to emma right and then emma reacted as though she had caught them trying to conceal their lie rather than they proved trustworthy ultimately i mean i understand being upset initially but i think it was a little over the top i think well there are consequences to bad decisions and this is in a way a consequence you know saying i did this really horrible thing but I'm sorry now and I'm repenting now doesn't change the fact that that horrible thing has consequences and prices that have to be paid. It's true, but I get the feeling that she doesn't seem so disturbed by what they did. At least she didn't say anything about that. It was simply that they were trying to hide it and that they were lying, which that's bad. But still, I mean, it's been what, 24, 48 hours? Maybe it's been longer, but they came clean. They did what was right. And I think given the fact that I can't think of a way that what they did actually affects... Well, okay, <laughs> never mind. It does affect her quite a bit, I suppose, but not in a negative way unless she somehow has guilt over what happened, even though she had no control over it. I'm just not sure if I totally understand her motivation in being so you're dead to me. It's trust more so than anything. Like she did say to Hook in the next scene, like, I just need some time. Like, I think, I think even in our society and excuse my tangent, like there's this notion that like, you have to forgive people if they wrong you and blah, blah, blah. And like, forgiveness is one thing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you completely open your heart up to them again, because then they can hurt you again. And I think that Emma's just experiencing like, wow, this is like the first time Mm. in my life, in my life. Hmm. that I have ever put this much trust in people. And it was time after time after time of them saying, you can trust me, you can trust me. 
um, we're here for you. Like, we're your parents. We love you. We would never do anything to hurt you. And then mm. they did everything that she's been afraid of them doing. And it's been messing with her for however many days. Mm. And <laughs> their confession is proving her worst fear almost. Mm. Well, So I, I don't know that it's enough to turn her dark. I hope that it's not. But no. I do understand her apprehension for immediate forgiveness. I think you're right, though. I mean, that's actually a really good perspective. Emotions are a complicated thing, and so is trust. And also, I can see it now. Thank uh, you. <laughs> this is an interesting contrast to what she did back when Hook told her that there was this darkness in his past. As Jacqueline pointed out, she said that it doesn't matter what Hook did to Ursula in the past because he wasn't that guy anymore and he has enough points in the hero tab to make up for it. But she didn't give the same level of consideration to her own parents. But it's just happened. Right. They haven't done anything yet to earn back her trust. Well, also consider this. Uh, Jacqueline pointed this out. That this is actually the worst thing Snow has ever done. And this confession didn't come out when they were in Neverland. Remember that cave where they had to confess their darkest secrets or something like that? (sighs) Can you remind me what Snow's confession was at that point? That she wanted another baby. She wanted another chance. That was her her secret. That was what they had to do, is they had to tell a secret. Right. <sighs> Maybe the baby thing was just so out of mind that she didn't, <laughs> she didn't think of it. Well, and they were still trying to earn Emma's trust then. So that would have been a big secret at that time that they were afraid to share with Emma while they were trying to earn her, her loyalty. But yeah, I agree. It's mm. a little bit of a hole in their theory. When they put Regina in her vault, Gold said that (laughs) he's going to show Regina something that will make her do his bidding forever. Sidebar, this is one of those scenes that I wish I could have seen the really awkward in between where they like have to pick Regina (laughs) up and carry her and then dump her on the floor of her vaults. Unless they poofed there, I don't know. I wonder, what is it that they're going to show her? I know in the initial reactions, I thought maybe it's Henry, and that could still be it. Because really, what other leverage could they have over Regina? But another thought is, Gold said that she would do his bidding forever. What is the only way to get someone else to do your bidding forever, so far that we know of? You make them invincible, or you curse them (laughs) into a land... Without magic. Yeah. You put uh, ribbons true. on their wrists. Okay. The other way I was thinking of, so maybe there, <laughs> there's more than one way. The way I was thinking of is they become the dark one oh, and you yeah. keep the dagger. So, But he maybe, said as soon as she sees it. Well, maybe he'll do something that makes her want to stab him with the dagger. Maybe she doesn't know the dagger rules, which now it seems like everybody knows how the dagger works anyway. So maybe that's not... Actually... Yeah, she does know the dagger rules because Cora had referred to killing Rumpelstiltskin and becoming the Dark One. But maybe that's part of Gold's plan is she becomes the Dark One so that he can control her. Well, I have a crazier theory. (laughs) And I don't know how this would work. But maybe he has at this point somehow Henry's heart if he had control of that and could kill him i suppose she would do what he says i don't know uh 
But maybe also it has something to do with the book pages that would alter her story. Hmm. Either yeah. in a way that forces her to do what he wants and somehow seeing them enact that, I don't know. Or in return for getting those pages, she, he thinks he would do his bidding. You know, again, he speaks in such grandiose terms <laughs> that are comparatively exaggerated when we see them come to pass. That it's hard to say whether we should take everything completely literally that he says. I have two questions kind of in response to that. One, does Regina realize that if the page of the book with her and Robin Hood becomes truth from the past, that she doesn't have Henry then in the future? Ooh. Like if her and Robin Hood got together in the past, none of this ever happened. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then two, just a random question that I'm wondering, have we ever seen anybody's heart get taken twice out of their body? I was just wondering if once your heart was taken and put back in, if you're then immune, just since we seem to be talking about immunity here in this episode yes. with people being immune to the sleeping curse and stuff. Hook. When was it taken the first time? I think Cora took his heart and put it back in. Okay. Maybe. I could be wrong there. But I'm sure, if not Hook, I'm thinking there's, there is someone else, but I can't remember i'm pretty sure regina's has been here and there <laughs> but I... regina let tinkerbell take her heart out she did and put it back what? in okay okay remember and regina said look it's black oh that was in neverland that. in season sure. three and then oh and snow's heart has been taken in and out well, in the uh, second half of season three, when they are back in the Enchanted Forest, Regina took her own heart out and buried it. Right. Right. And Rose in the chat room is reminding me that Cora took Hook's heart in Wonderland, which I do remember that scene. She didn't actually remove it, though. She just reached in you know, and shook it around reached a little bit. It, shook it up a bit. Because <laughs> I she remember that scene. touched his heart. Who? Who sent you? <laughs> Your mother. Your daughter. Before we talk about these last couple scenes from this episode, I want to thank some people for leaving kind reviews for us in iTunes because these reviews do really encourage us and they help other people find the podcast as well. So special thanks in this episode to Jess13 from the United States. All of these are from the United States. Jess13 said, listening every week adds to my enjoyment of the series. And Chase TB said, I started listening to Once Podcast a while ago when I ran out of episodes of ABC's official podcast for Once Upon a Time. I'm glad that happened because I get so much more out of listening to Daniel, Jeremy, and Aaron. There are times that I don't agree with some opinions and find myself arguing with pre-recorded voices in my car stereo. <laughs> but that's a sign that I'm truly engaged with the hosts. The production quality is so good that it actually makes me really frustrated when listening to other podcasts. Well, hey, on the production quality, that's big thanks to John, who edits our episodes for us. So thank you, John, for that. And thank you, Chase TB, for that review. And Wizard Dresden 17 said, unlike other podcasts, the host keeps everyone on topic and they don't waste time on extraneous nonsense. <laughs> thank you for that. And I think we do a good job of not going out to the extraneous nonsense too much. ADV in Tive said, listening to this podcast has really enhanced my enjoyment of watching the show. I think that Jeremy is the best part of the podcast <laughs> and has the most level-headed ideas. Whoa. <laughs> he actually 
went on, or he or she actually went on to say even more about how awesome Jeremy is. I wish that there were such. Tell me more. <laughs> I wish that there were such high quality podcasts for other TV shows I follow. Well, ADV, if you watch Resurrection, Agents of Shield, Agent Carter, or Under the Dome, we do have podcasts about those. They're hosted by some of our other friends on Noodle Mix Network. So if you go to noodle.mx, you'll be able to find the podcasts for uh, the other TV shows Wait, that we host. We have an Agent Carter podcast? Well, they talked about Agent Carter. Oh. It's Welcome to Level 7. They talk all things oh. Marvel. And during the Agent Carter spinoff, uh-huh. they talked specifically about it because oh. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was on break. It's kind of like what we did with Wonderland podcast. Oh, I see. But they kept it all in one podcast. Oh, because I, I don't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I loved Agent Carter, and I hope that there's more. Well, that's it. Noodle.mx. You can get all of the podcasts over there. So thank you very much for the kind reviews. They put smiles on our faces, as you could hear. They encourage us, and they help other people find the podcast as well. So thank you very much. If you haven't left a review for the podcast yet, please consider doing so by going to oncepodcast.com slash iTunes. Or if you use Stitcher, go to oncepodcast.com slash Stitcher. And thank you for your support of writing really nice and encouraging Uh and honest things, too. Thank you. There could be a Once Upon a Time Agent Carter crossover somehow it would basically be <laughs> maleficent because she fits right in well i've been calling her all agent carter like <laughs> and speaking of maleficent she got to see and so did we baby lily baby lily oh it's so sad <laughs> she has a little scar on her little wrist that she stuck out of her little eggshell <laughs> she <laughs> fell through the portal as so many do i don't like it you don't like it. I think no, it's going to uh, be good. We're going to see an adult Lily at some point, that means. Yeah. And she may be scary or she may be really awesome. And it may just turn all their ideas of what they did on their heads because they poured supposedly all this potential for darkness into Lily. And she may be amazing and not dark. I wonder how the conversation's going to go when Emma finds out that Lily is Maleficent's child. Well, I, I have to say... There better be a reasonable explanation for that coincidence. I dated the Dark One's son, and I was best friends with Maleficent's daughter? And now I'm dating Captain Hook? I'm I'm still going to still point out that Lily is also a very Wonderland character name. I'm just throwing that out there. Mm. Maybe not Lilith, but... Jessica Olsen asked, does Lily have magic? Is she really evil or does she have choice still? Since Emma pushed her away back in the episode Breaking Glass, will that have repercussions or will their friendship be the key to ending everything? Lily was a friend to Emma, so it seems she can be good even though she received all of Emma's darkness. But did Emma's actions or reaction kind of push Lily toward the dark side? If Maleficent and Lily are reunited, isn't that fulfilling her happy ending without making the author change their story? Or will the reunion not be a happy one? I like your ideas about Lily perhaps becoming the next dark one and or being the opposite of Emma, but I would also be interested in seeing a non-evil Lily just to show that even though Snow and Charming sent Emma's darkness into Lily, she can still choose to be good. Thank you, Jessica. Hey, Mm. I have some interesting things to say about the word Lilith, which is what he said he was naming the baby. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Has anyone sent in feedback about that, Daniel? Well, Rumpel's girl or Jacqueline and I did talk about that a little bit in the initial reactions, but please do remind us. Okay. So Lilith is a Hebrew name for a uh, figure in Jewish mythology that is kind of named as a, a female demon. Um, so the translations, uh, it translates into night creatures, night monster, night hag, or screech owl. So I just thought that was it. <laughs> Oh, I hope the character that we probably will see in the near future is not someone we feel like calling, what was it, Night Hag? <laughs> Night Hag and Screech Owl. But it Those says are in Jewish... all great names for a band, though. <laughs> <laughs> but it says that um, in Jewish inscriptions, Lilith is identified as a female demon and the first visual depictions appear Oh, in, in the 6th century. So that's just interesting since she's supposed to be like pure evil, right? According or, to or double Rich. evil, double evil, yeah. Or in Snow's mind, evil with the side of potential for evil. According to The Apprentice, a blank slate with increased potential for evil, but that somehow is definitely scary enough to have to send to another world. Even though he just said that wasn't the case. Now that I think about it, he deemed her definitely evil, even though it was all blank slate and potential. So there's that. It's just funny that Lilith means night, which is dark. Emma is the bearer of the lightest magic they've ever seen. Contrast, blah, blah, blah. Who knows? We might even see some kind of showdown between Emma and Lily. Probably yeah. not likely. They'll probably have some kind of reunion. They might even aim wands at each other across the town. And, and, and like, really hard. Like, yeah, yes. and then just like light will meet in the middle. No. Anyway. <laughs> loved the conversation i mean favorite scene maleficent and rumple both looking in the mirror and talking that whole thing he says i want to give you a chance to preserve what you have which in his mind is just where you are the, the level of pain you have not greater pain but all she sees is that she has pain but and the line pain fa fades unless you feed it i love that whole conversation but now she has hope rather than pain for the moment because her child is alive and in this world, what a coincidence. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, they, they go straight from someone must know her to, oh yeah, by the way, it's Emma. <laughs> so there really needs to be a tie-in that's not just coincidence. I suppose they could wax poetic and say it's fate. It can't be the author because I don't think he has affected anything in this world. Yeah, he's been trapped in the book. Yes. Which, by the way, he's side had note. more than just his nose stuck in a book. <laughs> side note, that means that probably he had no influence over bringing the book to Henry when he needed it oh. via snow. Oh, and again true. later, and the page for uh, Robin to find in his backpack. <laughs> that might have been the sorcerer who did those things, or the apprentice, or one in the same. So many thoughts. Yeah. So many thoughts based on the last scene. Do you guys think that Emma and Maleficent could team up? Like Maleficent goes, okay, I'm not working for Rumpel anymore. I just want to find my kid. This is what I saw of her, like weird drawing of this like scar on her wrist. And Emma goes, what? <laughs> I know that girl. I can't really see that happening because Maleficent seems to be here bent on revenge or bent on you know, killing anyone in her path to get to her happy ending. Well, but now that she's seen that Snow and Charming, like that her daughter was well taken care of and was ha like safe, 
that does not negate at all what Snow and Charming did. But do you think that her revenge streak might soften a little? I don't know. Except I think she's going to look for more answers about what exactly the nature of it was. And when she finds out what they were really trying to do and what they did do, I think she's going to be pretty mad. I mean, what Dragon Mom wouldn't be. From a writing perspective, consider that there are four villains here. Rumple, Ursula, Cruella, Maleficent. And they'll probably deal with each of these four villains in four different ways. Well, one's done. Ursula, yeah, got her happy ending already, and she stopped being a villain to enjoy her happy ending. Cruella, we have no (laughs) idea what her happy ending is. Maleficent, we know what her happy ending is. And in this episode, Maleficent made it quite clear that she understands Rumpel needs her, and Rumpel wanted her specifically because of her magical powers and something else that he has in mind. Hmm. And so that makes me think that Cruella is basically a red shirt here. And Cruella (laughs) might die in the next couple episodes. Well, she, I mean, she drives a lot. Yeah. Not well. (laughs) So she very well may. And then Maleficent may become one of the main villains. I'm just thinking... We're going to see their stories split apart and end in different ways. And yeah, Rumpel could be completely different from anything we even imagine. Yeah, I agree. I just don't know what else he could have planned for her. Yeah. It almost seems like Lily would be a great way to accomplish his plan, depending on what that is. Somehow, don't really know how. But I. it also feels a little more since he seem to be willing to not tell her anything to spare her that. It seems like his plans must not involve Lily. And so I don't know how else they actually involve Maleficent. Right. And Maleficent's motive may now be changed. It's maybe no longer vengeance. It's now, I want to find my daughter. Yeah. Yeah, she never seemed, she almost never seems terribly dedicated to being evil. Anytime we've really seen her, She's kind of she's kind of more grump than villain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do we know anything about Lily's mom? Like her mom here, her adoptive mom? We've only seen her dad. Yeah, I right? wanted to bring that up because he sa- he clearly said we want to name her. Yeah. And I think back in the episode Breaking Glass, he said your mother and I have been worried or something like that. So they're playing that one pretty close to the best. Well, if it even matters. Well, but why wouldn't, I guess it's just like, why wouldn't they just cast another actor then? If it's, if it's irrelevant and then like, you'd think the mom would be there when the dad got to pick up the baby for the first time. Yeah. Cause it doesn't, you're right. It doesn't seem like it would be terribly costly. Even if she doesn't speak to just put a woman there who is her mother or her adoptive mother. Yeah. Unless that's a big reveal. Exactly. Yeah. And that could be the key to, I don't know how, but she could have, she could have some connection. She could have wanted Emma and Lily to meet. It could be that the adopted mother was either Cruella. I was going to say. Or Ursula. Because many people have pointed out, you know, baby and Cruella and Ursula pop through on the other side from this bean hole. And then what, do they just abandon the baby? Well, but they, Lily went through an adoption yeah. agency for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But that could have been how they knew. So Cruella shows up. She's like, hey, I found this baby. Because being probably from fictional London, she knows how our world works. <laughs> so, so she uh, 
So they do like the whole process. They because obviously the baby's not very old when he adopts her, but Cruella clearly from when we meet her, when Rumpel goes to find her, seems to just as I imagine attach herself to various people that benefit her. Who knows how she met this guy? But maybe they had started. Except I don't. Well, he just said we. He didn't call her anything else. Maybe she had gotten him to marry her already. Or maybe it's completely irrelevant. Maybe it's Tamara. <laughs> I was going to say Tamara jokingly, and then I didn't. Yeah, I'm totally so, joking, too. Just even, to if, even if it were Cruella, like, what does that have to do with Emma? It still doesn't explain their meeting. Right. So then we get to meet the author via August. And one really important thing I think that August pointed out is that this author may not be the one who wrote Emma's story. Maybe no one wrote Emma's story. And August's little dialogue here about the author is, is just great. Something you need to know about this author. He wasn't the only one. There have been many authors throughout time. It's a job, not a person. And the one trapped in here was just the last tasked with the great responsibility. Which is? To record witness the greatest stories of all time and record them for posterity the job has gone back eons from the man who watched shadows dance across cave walls and developed an entire philosophy to playwrights who tell tales and poetry to a man named walt many have had this sacred job great women and men who took on the responsibility with the gravity that it deserved until this last one he started to manipulate rather than record he did something I don't know exactly what but something that pushed them over the edge mythology bomb dropped is Walt this author that we meet is this author Walt the one that he's referring to no I don't think so okay okay Walt is just one author. Okay. And they just threw that in there because Disney. Because Disney. Well, in fact, you know, because Disney. Here's a good point that Michael uh, sent in saying, it's kind of ironic, and I'm sure that the writers didn't intend this, that even though Disney was one of the past authors, Walt Disney in the real world is the closest of all the folklore recorders to the actual author figure we get in this show. He changed things and reworked the original stories to put his own Mm -hmm. stamp on them because he thought it, quote, made for a better story. That's funny. Of course, some of the previous folklore recorders had done stuff like this as well, like the Grimm's, but not nearly to the extent of Disney. This is true of Walt Disney, the man, but it is even more true of Disney, the company. Maybe my old theory from a couple seasons ago that Disney is the arch villain of the show wasn't all that off the mark after all. Thank you, Michael. Yes. But Disney brought back the happy endings. Yeah, that's right. Disney movies have happy endings. Grim fairy tales do not. Interesting. Like The Little Mermaid Dies, etc. <laughs> Spoiler alert. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's those are all really fun, interesting points. I would think that none of these authors, like the way he said it, the implication is that any author may have been at some time an 
author with a capital A, I'll say. I also heard capitals when he said the great responsibility. Like that's the job <laughs> title. Right. You've been tasked with the great responsibility, author. That's how you get dubbed author. But I would think that none of these authors, capital A, could be in our world because it seems like that's kind of a magical, mythical thing that wouldn't exist in a land without magic. True. Yeah. Most likely. Especially if they're going to merely hover their little quill over the page and words (laughs) will appear rather quickly. Because how else could you write so many stories and keep up? Yeah. Now, in this little montage, while August was speaking, it led to seeing the author writing a story. Mm -hmm. And as I do, Mm -hmm. I looked carefully at what he was writing, and this lends extra evidence that he is manipulating the stories as they're happening instead of rewriting the stories. Because the story that he was writing down, for once, it was not the golden bird in the book. (laughs) (laughs) But this was something that's not actually a fairy tale, but this was describing Snow White's and Prince Charming's remorse over what they had done. Here's what it um, what was written down. There was no way we could have known. The apprentice hid the truth from us. The prince tried once again to assure her. Inside, he felt as she did, but pains of helplessness at the sight of his love so forlorn compelled him to confront her. She was about to reply when a bluebird settled on a branch up ahead. The princess averted her gaze. She imagined its whispers of judgment in her ear echoing her own disappointment in her actions and was relieved when the bird flew off rather than perch on her shoulder. Nevermore. She had thought before that she had known true depths of sorrow with the heinousness of the evil queen's betrayal of her family. But in that moment, the princess knew the greatest betrayal of all is that of a... And then that's when he was cut off. Just got the letters H-E out there. Probably uh-huh. that of a helpless child a or hero. something like that. Of a hero, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Well, that's cool. Not sure where the manipulation comes in if he's recording things as they happen. But although, well, no, we do know how that lines up because the apprentice came to him and it had just happened. As we saw the montage, August voiceover, he was saying these words, and I don't think I connected them directly to the scene at the time. He's saying, I, he did something, and I don't know what, that pushed them over the edge. Well, it looks like it was this. So that's not an extra mystery for us to go, ooh, what, what did he do? That Well, we saw it. The apprentice directly referenced the incident with Maleficent, we assume. I think it's safe to say. And then he trapped him in the book. So that was the thing that August doesn't even really know about. I'll point out also that August said, the sorcerer and the apprentice trapped him in the book. I don't know what pushed them over the edge. What did we see? The apprentice acting alone. Boom. Unless he's acting on behalf of the sorcerer. Whatever. I mean, like it's, <laughs> it's like the prophets in biblical times were speaking for God and acting on his behalf. <laughs> oh, well, I, if you want to make that comparison, sure. I'm not going to say for sure that he is the sorcerer, but I really think he is. But it is interesting that the author had enough control that he was able to force the apprentice to do something. He did, but then he got trapped in a book. So not so powerful. Also, he used a curtain rod to get his escape (laughs) done. So the curtain rod is mightier than the sword. But maybe it's like the magical ink that made him powerful. 
because the apprentice did say, put down the quill (laughs) or something like that. Yeah. So who is the author now? If there is an author, could it maybe be August? The first author that was ever introduced to us (laughs) could be. Yeah. Maybe August is now one of the authors because how does he know all this stuff? about the authors and their origins. How did he know that Neil was Balefire? How did some of the other stories after this incident get recorded? So each author, let's say, they're supposed to be a pretty special person. So when they're going to die or whatever, whatever it is authors do when they're finished, when they reach the end, they pass the quill on to somebody else. And all the books and all the... Maybe the mansion comes with the job. And... No, I guess that's the Sorcerer's Mansion. But... So somebody makes a bad choice. Guy's kind of a lunatic. Or maybe just a little power hungry. He gets trapped in the book, so he is the last one tasked with it. But August takes it upon himself. Which also makes him far more authorized to do what he did to Henry's book than we thought. Yeah. Although he used different paper. He did. Well, you make do. Well, and remember, it was the sorcerer and the apprentice who choose the authors. <laughs> the curse, the curses, various curses hadn't taken away Storybrooke and brought it back with the mansion somehow yet. So he didn't have access to the books. <laughs> so he just had to use whatever paper he could find. <laughs> oh, man. This is making my brain hurt. Jessica Frey suggested that maybe the author, capital A, is kind of like Tim Allen's The Santa Claus where when one dies, it's automatically passed on to someone else, or kind of like uh, the same thing with the dark one. You kill one and it passes on to the other. I was just going to say, wait a second, that Santa Claus idea and the dark one dagger are very similar. (laughs) And maybe then The Apprentice became the new author, because he's the one who got rid of the old one. Could be. (laughs) Or kind of like in Harry Potter, the thing with the wand, and whoever disarmed the one with the wand, yeah. that's who it belonged to. No matter how many times Tim Allen shaved, his beard came back. And no matter how much face cream Rumpelstiltskin used, he was still scaly. It's all the same. <laughs> but here is Jessica's main point is, will Henry be the next author? Or the next dark one? Because think about it. Henry loves the book. Yeah. It's I've... been like Henry in the book. So Henrik or <laughs> Benry or I'm know, sure that's we've, the ship. We've, <laughs> we've theorized before that. The author of the book was Future Henry. Oh, I'm so glad we no one was right on that. Because he had started. He started doing this when he was little. And I recently watched the pilot and he was so little. Yes. <laughs> but he you know, he was illustrating, he was writing things down. He was when, obsessed with the book. When the book was missing, I believe it was, he was recreating it. So I could see maybe even the end of the entire series being something like closing this storybook. And then the sorcerer or someone telling Henry, you're the next author. It's your job to record the happy endings Hmm. and make your own happy ending. There's something, you know, something inspiring, equipping like that, that applies (laughs) to everyone and gives everyone hope. Go and be the best version of yourself. Not really. (laughs) Bring back the happy endings. So the author is loose somewhere in Storybrooke and... Does he have his power? Does he not? He doesn't have the quill, and it seems like the quill is what gave him his power. But still, I think we're going to have this kind of manhunt for the author. 
But this does wrap up our long discussion of this episode, Best Laid Plans. You can continue the discussion by going to our forums over at oncepodcast.com slash forums and participate in the conversations other people are starting over there or start your own conversation, share your own theories over there. And you can respond directly to anything we shared in this episode by going to oncepodcast.com slash 190. We'd really love it if you would send us your feedback on the upcoming episodes of Once Upon a Time. So make sure that you put the title of that episode in the subject of your email and send that to feedback at oncepodcast.com. Or you can call and leave a voicemail at 903-231-2221 or send a voice message through the website at oncepodcast.com. Thank you very much for the kind donations and honest ratings and reviews in iTunes and Stitcher and all over the place. We really appreciate it. It really encourages us and helps other people find the podcast as well. And we would love to connect with you. So please follow us on Twitter at OncePodcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at the Ramen Noodle. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. I'm Aaron, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron J. Cruz. Remember that there will be no episode of Once Upon a Time on April 5th, and thus no podcast during that week, but we'll be back and we'll publish our schedule for the live shows after that. Special thanks to our whole team for making this podcast possible. Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul moderating the forums. Keb managing our timeline, Aliascape moderating the chat room, and my fellow co-hosts Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline hosting this podcast with me. And until next time, let's just burn it and worry about it later. (laughs) And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to those who sponsored this episode of the podcast. We could not do this without you. If you would like to be one of them, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash sponsor. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast. We've got Season 4, Episode 17, Heart of Gold. Now, this will not air this week. It won't air until April 12th, so just keep that in mind. Emma is still reeling after learning the truth of her parents' history with Maleficent, but she must focus on finding the author who's running loose in Storybrooke before Gold does. When Gold's quest for his happy ending grows more urgent, he blackmails Regina into helping him. In a fairy tale land flashback, Robin Hood learns what it means to be an honorable thief when he accepts a proposition by Rumpelstiltskin to travel to Oz to steal a valuable magic elixir from the Wicked Witch. Sounds like a lot. It does. And of course, this is the episode where not only Robin returns, but Rebecca Mater is going to be back as the Wicked Witch. Correct. We also have Will Travel as the Sheriff of Nottingham, Raphael Alejandro as Roland. I love that little kid. Oh, yeah. Jason Burkhart as Little John, Christy Lang as Maid Marian, Patrick Flesher as the author. Did you see that they changed that? They're now calling him the author instead of the peddler. Instead of the peddler, yeah, that's nice. Jennifer Chion as Nurse, Paul 
Colgan as carriage driver and Tristan Shire as Osgard. And this one is written by Tez Chung and Scott Nimfaro and is directed by Billy Gerhardt. Yep. So we did get a promo this week. Yeah, we don't have a lot of news, just so you guys know. Because right, this is going to be short. Well, that and there's nothing this week, so they never really release anything till later. Yeah. So the promo, of course, really focuses on Robin Hood and Zelina returning and the fact that they apparently have some kind of past. Yes. Robin Hood is going to Oz where he will meet up with Zelina who is in all her wicked witch glory with the green skin and the black outfit complete with the hat. Yes. That hat. Yes, that hat. <laughs> so, yeah. I wonder how he sends him to Oz because we've only seen anyone get to Oz via the hat, right? Or the doors or portals. I'm really confused as to how he's sending Robin because – Dorothy and Zelina both got there through a magical tornado. That's right. And then the wizard gives her the slippers that she can go from the Enchanted Forest to Oz with. But Dorothy took those when she went home to Kansas. And didn't we see the door, though, in the Mad Hatter's hat? Yeah, the door, I think, is there because there's that one that's got all the green curtains. And everyone has always speculated that that was Oz. Yes. So... I'm assuming we might get a Jefferson name drop, and that's how he's going to send – Rumpel's going to send Robin to Oz. Yes. So it does – to me, it looks a little weird because everything we see of Robin, and we do have some photos and stuff of the camp, of the hut, which I don't know if there's it's theirs or not. But with everyone, it's all in the past. But yeah. in this promo, we do see Robin riding down a city street on a horse. Yes, and I have no idea why. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. And um, Rumple wakes up in a hospital. with, and You can only see a very faint part of the back of the person's head that he's talking to, but the hair is red and curly, so we're going to go ahead and assume it's Zelina. Right. But So I don't know if this is past or present or... I think it might be that six-week interval when he was... Yes, leaving Maine and getting to New York City, and he sees Zelina. Okay. I don't know why I blinked that he was gone for six weeks. (laughs) And he is in a hospital bed, in a hospital gown. And if you guys listen to the podcast on Sunday about the initial reactions, I've been suggesting that Rumpel is actually going to die this season. And I think we're about to get a lot of Rumpel revelation in this episode through the flashbacks. Okay. I think we're about to learn some stuff about his heart. Yes, but we do only see Robin Hood and everyone in the past, I believe, because it doesn't look like they're in a city or living nowadays. Right. So and I think that storyline is still yet to come. Yes, I think so. And in speaking of the photos and such, the photos of Robin in Oz, he's not wearing his merry man uniform. (laughs) No, he's not. He's in like a military uniform. Yeah, he looks like one of the guards from the movie, except without the hat. Right. And it's really strange because if he's going in to steal... Well, I could see if he's going in to steal something, becoming a guard as cover, but he keeps his bow and arrow. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure what that big plan is. And why didn't Zelina recognize Robin in present day? Last season, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm hoping they'll answer that question. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I did love the photo. I'm guessing it's the, the director Billy Gerhart. He walked around set with one of those, 
Mickey Vader hat when it was cold. It was cold. hilarious. <laughs> I think that's who it is. <laughs> I think so. It's adorable. I kind of want that hat. Yes, it's really cute. I've seen hard ones, like a hard plastic hat like that, but I've not seen a soft one like that. And then there were some other photos that did not deal with Robin and Zelina. Right. And we have a bunch of photos of the Charmings and Hook in the woods, obviously searching for the author. Yes. And then there are some photos of Rumpel with the author. Yes. Well, let's first let's go back to the Charmings in the wood. There's one still shot and like it looks like Henry is cross-eyed. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. It is hilarious. Like, couldn't they have gotten a better photo? But that's just me. But the yeah, the weird one is that Rumple's in the woods talking with the author. Yeah. So it looks like Rumple and the author are probably going to meet up before the Charmings can find him. And then I was doing some research and I did find for some trivia for this episode that during a concept meeting, the production team was described as a flutter because of something outrageous in the script. So I don't know if that's funny or revolutionary or... Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. That's all really we've got. We don't want to give you guys too much because we've got another week off. So when we come back, we'll probably give you guys a lot more. So that's all we have for you this week. Don't forget, this episode is not airing until the 12th, so not this weekend, because in the U.S. it is Easter. So, well, I think it's Easter everywhere, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at BitOfPixieDust. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Monsters. (laughs) 